Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 3 and 4 in particular. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And um, once you get there, if you will, if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we uh, read God's Word in reverence and respect for it? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that, may, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Okay, you may be seated. Thank you so very much. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you for the privilege to do so. That's a big deal that we have access and we thank you, Lord, for... The, uh, what you were willing to do to, to accomplish that. We know that there was no other way that took the crushing of your son on Calvary's hill. And we know that you did that intentionally, on purpose, prophesied, decided upon, and carried out even before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we want you to know we're eternally grateful. And God, we ask, we just lift you up and affirm your greatness, your presence, your power, your glory, your plan. Your purpose. And Father, we're here exclusively exclusively for you. Because you created us to be here for you. And uh, not that you needed us. But you are to be worshipped and praised. And you're going to be worshipped or praised. And we're not going to let the rocks cry out. We'll affirm and we'll lift up voices. We'll enter into the courts with thanksgiving and praise. And affirm your greatness. And celebrate your glory. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity to do that this morning. Thank you for the power of your word, as Pastor Dave prayed a few moments ago, that we transformed and not informed this morning. And you take these two verses and embed them in our hearts and help us not to forget our call. And Father, I praise you for purchasing us at Calvary. And God, we ask you to forgive us. Uh, we know we have a relationship with you for those of us who have repented toward you and put our faith in your son. But we know that the fellowship is hindered by uh, sin and we just confess God that we, we search our hearts see if there's any anxious thought or offensive way in us and lead us into the way everlasting forgive us any attitudes or any kind of pride that has crept up in our heart that's taken root we ask God that you would would uh, quickly get it out of our hearts Lord and help us to walk in purity and walk so that we can enter your presence as Aaron read to us this morning from your scriptures who can and Father, we, we, our hearts have to be cleansed, our hands cleansed, and uh, we pray for that cleansing even right now. So search our hearts, God. Move and work in presence and power throughout your people. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you have drawn here this morning, and thank you most of all for your guaranteed presence where two or three are gathered together in your name. In the sweet and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is the second time that we've looked at this text, and... Uh, we're coming at it from the approach of the way it begins, and that is to be strong in grace. Because the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with young Timothy, his mentor, um, Paul, Timothy's mentor, spoke to him and said, You, in verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore my son, be strong in grace. And we looked at that from the standpoint that we need to be strong in grace because sometimes in the Christian life, God is graciously dealing with us even in the middle of adversity, and it appears like we're not being graciously dealt with. And the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is, you'll remember, and we're going to give just a little bit of the background in case 
uh, you forgot it from last time. But this was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy shortly before Paul was martyred. It was his second imprisonment in Rome where he had written from. And he was in prison there uh, when he wrote 1 Timothy. And now this is his second imprisonment when he wrote 2 Timothy. It appears like from the letter that Timothy was in danger of weakening spiritually. He was at a low ebb. He was a pastor of the church at Ephesus and needed some encouragement. He was getting this from not from a guy. This encouragement did not come from somebody who was riding the crest of the wave and somebody who uh, was um, enjoying all the, um, the uh, pomp and circumstance of life. This was written by the Apostle Paul from prison with knowing through the power of the Holy Spirit that his martyrdom was at hand. So this is not someone who was on a high writing to someone to lift somebody up who was on a low. This was somebody circumstantially speaking, who was low, trying to lift up somebody who was low themselves. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to encourage him to say, keep on keeping on. And, and Timothy, listen to me. Take deep drinks and deep breaths and inhale the grace of God and grow strong in the grace of God because there are going to be occasions when God's going to deal with you and He's going to put you through hardship and He's going to put you through trials and turmoil like you're going through, warfare like you're going through. And unless you understand and have some appreciation for the grace of God, you will lose sight of, in the middle of your storm, that God is graciously dealing with you. You see, we're all too familiar and we're all too settled and we're all too grateful for the work of the cross for us. But we want little or nothing to do with the work of the cross in us. Those are two separate works. The work of the cross for us, man, we're cool with that. You know, once you become a Christian, you have to identify with the work of the cross for you. You have to realize that God's wrath was taken out on the substitute. Not you and I are recipients of God's wrath against our great sin, but yet God took the wrath out on His substitute. And we say, praise the Lord, and rightfully so, praise the Lord for that. But in the journey of the Christian life, there's also the work of the cross in you. This is where the application of the work of the cross takes place. This is where we begin to identify in living out the work of the cross where we're denied ourselves and we take it up and we follow Him. And Peter had, Paul had led Timothy, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the cross in him was going on. And the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage him. Listen, don't be discouraged because the same grace that motivated God to the work of the cross for you is the same grace that motivates God to do the work of the cross in you. The problem is we are often offended by God's way of doing the work of the cross for us because we don't like the methods he employs. Anybody who says that the Christian life is an easy life doesn't know anything about following Christ. That is not true. The only problem with that is the Bible. Other than that, it's great to believe it. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy things like, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. It says it's difficult. It says count the cost. Not to get saved, but because you are saved. And he said, listen, the same grace that purchased you, that motivated me, God, to purchase you at Calvary, to do the cross, the work of the cross for you, 
is the exact same grace that motivates me to do the work of the cross in you. If you don't understand that, if you don't drink deep from that, if you don't immerse yourself in that, if you don't meditate on that, if you don't eat it, if you don't receive it by faith, you will misinterpret everything that God's doing in your life currently. You'll begin to resent His activity rather than celebrate the fact that He doesn't love you anymore but he doesn't, then, then he will ever love you, but he doesn't love, he wants you to be conformed into the image of his son. And what does that mean? It means somebody's got to die. And it's you and I. And our old man dies hard. And we're so attached to this world, and we're so attached, and we want to just grasp everything out of it. We want to have our cake and eat it in two. We want to grab a hold of heaven and earth. And be called in between. We're so double-minded in the church today. We've got to pick a team. We've got to slap on a jersey and stake a claim and say, wait just a minute. We've talked about it before, but C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven. Aim for earth. Aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim from earth and you'll get neither. It's the truth. The Apostle Paul says, listen. And he uses these analogies. He uses the one of the soldier. He uses the one of the... Uh, athlete, and he uses one of the farmer, but ours is to look at the one of the soldier this morning, the soldier. And let's just take a quick look at it. And I want us to see a couple of things in this, and then we're going to move on. The soldier. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We'll look at four things here. We want to look endurance, we want to look at engaged, we want to look at the entanglements, and we want to do, look at the enlistment. First of all, the endurance. He said, you therefore, if you are going to be an engaged soldier, you're going to have to endure hardship. You're going to be misunderstood, you're going to be misquoted, you're going to be treated unfairly by others. You're going to encounter hardship, difficulty, and pain at every level. And unless you understand that that is manifest evidence of the gracious dealings of God in your heart and life to identify with the cross that He died on, not just the work of the cross for you, but the work of the cross in you, you will misinterpret and even begin to resent where He has you. You won't be able to understand unless you look through the lens of Scripture to interpret your moment. You will miss God because you won't be able to understand His gracious dealing with you. That word endurance, it says in the middle of hardship and trials and troubles, it means to be afflicted, it means to suffer evil. It means what it means. It means to endure, to patiently endure. We've seen in Scripture where people didn't endure. We've seen in John chapter 6 where a whole bunch of people were following Jesus. And it says they were His disciples. It doesn't say they were just kind of checking Him out. It says they were His disciples. They got to a point when He said, Listen, you have to eat of my flesh and you have to drink of my blood. And they go, What? You're going to have to eat of my flesh and you're going to drink of my blood. And he said, these words I speak to you are spirit and they're life, but the flesh profits nothing. And you know what happened? Every last one of them that were following him 
said, this is where we get off. We're done. It's over. We're done. We're through. And they left. And he looked around at the twelve. And he said, you guys are going to leave too? And he said, Peter spoke up through the power of the Holy Spirit and said, where else are we going to go, Lord? We know who you are. You're the son of the living God. And you have the words of life. You know what he was saying to him When he said, you're going to eat of my flesh and you're going to drink of my blood. What he was saying was, if you believe in the work of the cross for you, following me goes beyond that. I'm also going to cause a work of the cross to be done in you. And I am going to wipe out your flesh because I cannot work through it. I cannot use it. It profits or it counts for nothing. And the Apostle Paul is telling young Timothy, endure. Because every hardship, every trial, every temptation God is sovereign over, it's ordained by Him, it's permitted by Him, or either initiated by Him, (coughs) but He's sovereign over every last one of them. And the reason is that he's doing it is he's trying to kill your flesh to the work of the cross for you, in you so that he can display his life through you and you could be of some kingdom benefit to those you've been called to pastor. Timothy, they do not need you trying to act like Jesus. They need you dead so that Jesus can live through you. That's what they need. And that's what God's doing in your life. Son, hang in there. Endure. Patiently endure. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36. Look at it, if you will. Can you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 to 39. It says, Paul might as well have been writing this to Timothy. Timothy, Household of faith member. You have need of endurance. So that that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He said, you know what? Here's the deal. There's a timeline difference between when the promise is given that spawns your obedience and the promise is manifest. And in the time between the promise being given, which is the motivation and the catalyst for your obedience, and when you see the promise become fulfilled, you're going to need endurance in that time period. In that time period, get out the Word, get on your face before God, and celebrate His gracious dealing with you. Because he's conforming you into the image of his son. That's God's plan. Don't we quote it all the time? We quote, we quote all the time Romans 8.28. And well, we should. What does it say? Does anybody here know what Romans 8.28 says? All things work together for good. To them who love the Lord. And who are the called according to his purpose. But we never move beyond that usually to determine biblically what is the purpose and what's the purpose. 
He predestined us in the next verse to be conformed to the image of His Son. He said, Timothy, the hardship you're going through, the scorn, the misunderstanding, the unfair treatment, loving people and not being reciprocated, all that you're going through right now, don't misinterpret it. It's all a part of my plan to make you like my son. Believer, what is it maybe you're going through this morning and you're missing God potentially by a country mile because you, you're, you're listening to the lies of the devil and saying, you know what, this is just not fair. This is not what I signed up for. This just doesn't seem like it should be part of the package. And the devil feeds that stuff. He feeds that. He feeds it and feeds it. And boy, he just has a feast over that. And then we begin to believe and misunderstand all our moments. And rather than celebrating the adversity, because every one of them stand to do nothing but make me more like Jesus, we begin to resent it. And then he talks us into not only resenting the adversity, but we resent God's sovereignty over it. We begin to question whether or not he's sovereign. And if we get talked into the fact that he's sovereign over it, we say, well, if God's sovereign over it, why would you let it happen? And then we cast doubt on whether or not he loves you. Then he casts doubt on whether or not he's finished with you. Or why are you doing this? And on it goes. And all of those, all of those are honest responses. And it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there. We have to get into the Word, muse upon it, meditate on it, receive it, eat it like a scroll, and say, wait just a minute. I signed up for the work of the cross for me, but I also got involved in the work of the cross in me. And every time God works this way in my life, He's nailing a death blow to what's left of my flesh. Praise His glorious name. He said, you need to endure. Believer, you need to endure. You are called to endurance. The Christian life is littered with people. It is littered with believers nowadays, right now, who said, that is enough. This is far as I go. It is littered with them and said, I get off here. I stop here. I'm staying right here. The reason Peter stayed is not because of the principle the principles he was being given, he stayed because of the character of the principal giver. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're God in the flesh. Where else are we going to go? Mark it down. Wherever else it is, it'll be downhill. He has a plan for you. It involves adversity. It involves persecution. It involves being misunderstood. It involves loving people who don't love you in return. It involves graciously dealing and forgiving other people in ways in which you've been forgiven. It involves letting go. It involves trusting. And guess what it involves? What's on the other side of the cross, of the word of the cross for you? And in you is resurrection. We want the benefits of the resurrected life without willing to take a trip to the cross that precedes it. We want the benefits of the resurrected life without being willing to take a trip to the cross that precedes it. And I've got news for you. There is no other way. Even the flesh of our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was going through and struggling and sweating drops of blood. Father, if there's another way, is it possible? Is it possible that maybe there's another way to purchase Ray? 
What was the conclusion? Son, there's not. Whatever you're involved in right now, and however he's graciously chipping away who you used to be before you came to know his glorious grace is just as gracious to you as the grace that was employed to find you in the first place. And he said, grow strong in it, son. Endure. That's the endurance. And then now we want to look at the engagement. Look at it. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one, watch this, no one, watch this, engaged. No one engaged in warfare. We talked about this when we went through our Ephesians chapter 6 series on the armor of God. Could it be said that in the Christian life, a majority of us as believers are believers on parade? Man, get out the dress blues. Get out the fancy uniform, shine it up, put on the insignia, get it all dressed up. And let's march down through the middle of the city and get all the crowd appeal and get all the cheers and get all of that. Let's do all of that. Sign me up. Praise God. I'm one of His. Amen. But that's not who Paul was talking about. Paul was talking to a man who had battle fatigues on. He was talking about a man who was bruised and battered and was in the middle of the fight. God is recruiting engaged believers. What's the implication? You can be a not engaged soldier. That's the implication. What does that word mean? The original word from which that's translated means to be on active service. It means to fight. It means to be a soldier. And God's fond of using the soldier uh, narrative, the, the soldier example to tell us what, it like, what it's like to be a disciple and to follow Christ. You get to a point where you say, you know what? I've had enough of this. The demands are too high. It is enough. It is enough. I'm going to settle for a settle for life. I'm going to think and act like the world. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to compromise things I know to be the truth. I'm going to compromise my time. I'm going to compromise my career choices. I'm going to compromise my family. I'm going to tweak it just enough so that me and Jesus have an arrangement. And that maybe He's cool with me and I'm cool with Him. And you've created a Jesus who's not biblical. And that is, as far as I know, idolatry. We talked about this before, but the Bible says that in the beginning, God created man in His own image, and ever since then, man's been trying to return the favor. It means to be engaged. It means to be active. It means God working in you. He's looking for workmen who are concerned about what you just said a while ago, Ken. Not just the ebb and flow of living and earning a living. It's a righteous thing to earn a living. But while you're earning a living, you should wield a witness. Why do I work hard and don't compromise in my workplace? And somebody asks you that. Let me tell you why. I once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. And otherwise I'd be living just like you're calling upon and expect me to live. And the only reason there's a difference is because of Jesus. Period. Would you like to know Him? That's engagement. That's not believers on parade. Nobody engaged in warfare. And look at this next word, entangle. That word means to end weave. It means to entangle. It means to get involved in. 
I want you to look at how this kind of evolves through Scripture. Let's just take a short trip and let's just look at it. We don't have time for all of this, but we'll just take a short trip. Just, just bear with me. We're going to develop something scripturally here. Children, look with your parents in the Bible and look at it and mark these verses. Okay? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. Go there with me if you will. Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. This is God talking to Adam. He said, Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have you eaten from the tree of which I told you not to eat, here is what is going to happen to you. I'm sorry, verse 17. We're going to focus it on 18. So then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In verse 18, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. We talk about the fact that God cursed Adam by giving him work. That's not true. God cursed Adam by making his work hard. There's nothing wrong with work. So God ordained to work. We'll work in heaven. We're not going to sit on the clouds and feed each other grapes for eternity. We're going to be serving Him somehow or another. But He says, listen, thorns and thistles. It's going to be arduous. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to, you have to really labor. It's going to be sweat and toil. You're going to have to really work hard. It's going to be, nature is going to be in some way your adversary. And sometimes it's going to be against you. It's going to work hard against you and you've got to persevere. But he said, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles. Did you hear that? Entanglement. Did you know, Nancy, when we went over there to Chuck, Brother Chuck Kettering's house, and he had a fence, and beside the fence, he needed some things cleaned out. And there were thorns growing in there, that big around, I mean, bushes, vines that had vines were that big around and thorns that long. I'm exaggerating, but it seemed that way. You get caught up in them and you'll think they're that long. And I remember going through there, and I underestimated how many thorns were in there. So I just rushed in there, and I guess got all entangled in all of them, and I'm bleeding and getting cut to pieces because these thorns are sticking to me from every side. That's the kind of entanglement he's talking about. You cannot be a soldier and be entangled in this world like that because it will impair your journey. You know what that made me do? I went in there fast, but I came out slow. Went in there fast, got all tangled up in the thorns and then wind up having to meticulously pick them off so I could somehow another get through to the other side, which seemed like eight miles. And I thought of this verse. I said, you know what? It's impairing my journey. I can't go through there smoothly. I'm, being, I'm having to stop and tend to some things that I wouldn't have to tend to if the thorns weren't there. And he said, this is the curse. This is what's going to happen as a result of your sin. Alright, look at Matthew chapter 13. Let's just develop something here. Look at Matthew chapter 13. And we're looking at the parable of the soils. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 7. We're going to look at verse uh, 22. Matthew 13. We're going to look at verse 7. This is Jesus talking about the um, four types of hearts in the parable of the soil. And you remember that he said that the sower... I mean, the seed that's being sown is the Word of God. You throw the seed out and the, the effectiveness of the seed is not determined by the seed itself. There's nothing wrong with the seed. 
There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. The effectiveness of the seed and the results of the seed being implanted had everything to do with the type of soil. And the soil is an analogous, it's analogous to the condition of our heart. Okay. And he says, okay, here's, let me give you the third category, heart. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the, watch this, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Can I say this to you? Here's what impairs the believer's journey. We're so crowded out by the world that the word of God has no room in our heart. We're crowded out by the affairs of this life, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the Word becomes unfruitful. It's got no place to land. When it does land and it does take root, it's choked up. It's part of the curse. It goes back to Genesis. The thorns and all of that will raise up and they'll impair your journey. You're going to get so caught up in the ebb and flow of living, you're going to get so caught up in work that you'll forget that God put you there to display His Son. By the way, He's going to use your work to make a living, but God put you there to display His Son. You're going to get caught up so much in your covenants in your neighborhood that you're going to forget that God put you in the neighborhood not to man the covenants. God put you in the neighborhood to display Display His Son. You're going to get so caught up in schoolwork and so caught up in this and so caught up in that and so caught up in performing so you can go out and earn a billion dollars a year. And God might let you earn a billion dollars a year and the only reason He would give you that kind of wealth is so that He could work through that kind of wealth to create a stewardship in you that would display His Son. And if you get caught up in these cares, you're going to begin to have a wrong perspective. It's going to be skewed. And you're going to soon think that everything is about down here. And it's not. It is to display His Son. It is to display His Son. There's nothing wrong with having cares in this world. But there is something wrong when the cares of this world control you and make your decisions for you. Then there's something wrong with that. The deceitfulness of riches. The devil writes checks he cannot cash. How many times do we have to see it? How many examples do we have to have put in front of us like the one last night where Lex was earning millions of dollars a year and yet was absolutely lost in his sin, dying and going to hell and finally got to the point where he feared God's judgment because God's judgment was on him. If the Word of God has no room in your heart, the only person to blame is the one who stares you back in the mirror. The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and what happens? And the desire for other things, the desire for pleasure, the parallel accounts in Mark, Luke, and John, or Mark and Luke say. But it's the thorn. It's the thorn that raises up. The thorn's going to make you labor harder. The thorn's going to impair your journey. The thorns are going to crowd your heart. These cares. You're going to be ratcheted to this world. You're going to be more concerned about favor down here than favor from heaven. You're going to be more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. You'll fear men and not God. You'll trust your future to men and not God. You'll have an anxiety and a fear that wouldn't be there if you simply rested in me. Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, but I can tell you this, he was at perfect peace. Because he knew who he was, he knew where he was headed, and his plan could not be derailed by anybody, because he had one boss, and that was his father.
But let's develop it. This is the work of the cross in you. The thorns and thistles come up. They stop you from going just like we were trying to get through Brother Chuck's yard and we couldn't get through it because the thorns that come up, a result of the curse, labor is hard. It gets us out of focus. It can get our perspectives changed to where we're only concerned about things that are temporary and no longer concerned about things that are eternal. We can immerse ourselves and mesh ourselves in and get entangled in all of that and we can't hardly move. It slows us down. It makes our thoughts puny. It downsizes the purpose of God in your life. Then you begin to see others rather than a cause to bless them. It's just another thing to encumber your journey. My aggravating neighbor. My aggravating co-worker. Rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to be unencumbered enough to say, God, would you show me a way to show love to my aggravating neighbor? Would you show me a way to impart the kind of grace that purchased me to a contentious co-worker or a contentious husband or a contentious wife? Would you show me that kind of grace and would you move it through me? Because I've received it. And because I've received it and you live in my heart, I can dole it out. That's being engaged. Or you can check out and just go collect the paycheck, earn a living, stay in the neighborhood, make no difference at all because you said, no, this is where we stop here. I'm cool with the work of the cross for me, but this work of the cross in me, I'm sorry. I'm done. Okay, look at Galatians 6.14 The Apostle Paul says it here, an engaged worker who is unentangled is a soldier. In Galatians 6.14 this was what was purchased at Calvary. Y'all have seen this so many times. Look at this. The work of the cross for you. And the work of the cross in you. Now, let me ask you this. Which one do you think this verse represents? Does this verse, does this verse represent the work of the cross for you? Or does, does this verse represent the work of the cross in you? Let's see. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. It's like being in the middle of the thorns in Chuck's house, in his yard, and the Holy Spirit coming over and cutting every one of them from around me and saying, Son, run the race. You can go free. This world need not entangle you anymore. You don't have to be immersed in it. You don't have to be entangled and intertwined in it. You don't have to be that way. Son, daughter, I purchased you. I have released you from the curse. You still have to go through and deal with the consequences of the curse as a cursed world that you live in, but you internally have been liberated. You can live for eternity because I've set you free. How do we know? Why is the cross, why does it say the cross and the world's been crucified to me? It means the entanglements have been cut off. Don't stay there anymore. 
Let God take them out. Make room for His Word. Receive it as a welcome friend. And walk in obedience to what you hear. You can do that now. That grace has been purchased for you now. You can be engaged and you no longer need to be entangled. Because you've been set free through the cross. I want you to look at a verse and it's a real important verse. Boy, we could preach a series of messages. I won't do that right now. But we could preach a series of messages on this one verse. Look at John 19.1. Watch this. 19.1. Look over there at it. We're developing this. We find in the Garden of Eden, what does he say? Thorns and thistles are going to make your work hard. That to traverse through this world as a result of the curse. Then we find in Matthew chapter 13 that once a believer is set free... From that, he still can be entangled with it. We can still succumb to the temptation of the enemy to think that this is all there is. We can still maintain puny perspectives. We can still think, oh, I'm just in my neighborhood for myself. Or I'm just at the job for myself. Or I'm just in my family for myself. And we can be set free from all of that, but we can go back and be entangled. Our hearts can be crowded to the point where all the thorns and the thistles represents the world, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, and they come up, they come up, they come up, and God's Word falls in there. It has no room. It's choked out by the other cares. I cannot be concerned about anybody else because I'm just concerned about me. I need standing. I live in this world. He who dies with the most toys wins. And so, we get entangled. But then we find out through the Apostle Paul, no. What was your vote? Is the cross that he's speaking of, whereby the world's been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world, is that the work of the cross for me, or is that the work of the cross in me? It's the work of the cross for me. I mean, it's the work of the cross in me. I can be set free. I can live free in the entanglements. And why can you and I live free? It's found in this verse. Have you ever wondered, why did they do this to him? So then Pilate took Jesus, scourged him, and the soldiers twisted, what? A crown of thorns and put it on his head and put on him a purple robe. Those thorns were fashioned as the judgment of God against Adam and Eve in a fallen race. And what used to entangle you God works through these people to fashion a cross, I mean to fashion a crown, and to say, you know what? The curse has been laid on my son. I crowned him with thorns because that was the judgment that was on you because of your sin. The Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on a cross. And Jesus took the curse for you and I and have made us Do you see it? The thorns that impair your journey? Because He did that, He's my substitute. And what was judgment? Instead of God taking it out on you and I, He took it out on His Son. He got crowned with the thorns of my judgment. That's why the Apostle Paul said, By the work of the cross for me, which leads to the work of the cross in me, I will rejoice in nothing but the cross. Because in the cross, the world has been crucified to me. 
And I have been crucified to the world because the crowning joy of the world is nothing but judgment. And God crowned His Son with worldly judgment in order to set those free who come to Him for refuge. Praise His glorious name. You and I can be unentangled. And then we're enlisted. We're chosen. We were recruited by God. We need to endure. He's calling us to be engaged. He's unencumbered us through the work of the cross in us and for us. And He enlisted us. And in the engagement, and in the entangles, and in the enlistment, you see the Trinity. We were enlisted by God, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We're not entangled with this world because the cross and the crowns that were placed on our Savior's head. And we're engaged through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every bit of this is the work of the cross manifest through surrendered people. I would imagine that most of you maybe have been curious and wondering Brother Lindsay, why in the world did you give us this question and hand it out several weeks ago and you've never bothered to answer it biblically? But if you'll recall, those of you who were here, we handed out a question and we had everybody respond to it. We had some wonderful responses. I still got all of them and I've looked at every one of them. And the question was this. Do you remember the question? We said, biblically speaking, is God's call to surrender in the life of a believer issued as a command or does he urge us to do it? Which one is it? As a believer, speaking to believer. Remember that? We've never answered that. And we're going to spend, we're going to answer that, God willing, in the next two weeks. We're going to answer that question biblically. But here's what I'm saying. When the surrender takes place, we need to see the motivation for the surrender. You're really going to want to see this. But when the surrender takes place, you'll be called to endure. And the call to endure will be filled and manifest by people who are willing to embrace the work of the cross for them, but also willing to wait embrace the work of the cross in them. And when you are embraced, you will be jettisoned from being entangled by this world. You will be engaged. You will not be a believer on parade. You will be engaged. You will be unencumbered because you were enlisted as a soldier of the cross. Praise His glorious name.